Open your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 32. Genesis chapter 32. And this morning, I want us to look at this area of fellowship. And in a secondary way, our fellowship with each other, but in a primary way, our fellowship with the Lord. And so let's look at Genesis chapter 32 and look at verse 24. We're just going to read this first phrase, and then we're going to uh, pray and come back to the text. And Jacob was left alone. Dear Heavenly Father, please help us. Help us to understand what we have in you. And that it's only through your power and our walk with you that we have power in this world. And so, Father, please help us to establish our priorities in your word. Help us to take our next step in fellowship with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Jacob had met with the Lord. Now, we need to remember the story of Jacob. Jacob and Esau are twins. Esau comes out first, and he's hairy, covered with hair, and he's a manly man. And he's a hunter, and he smells like a hunter. You know what I mean? Jacob is a smooth man. And he's a man of the tents and he's a man of the plains. And So you have an inside guy and an outside guy. The outside guy is born first, but the inside guy is holding on to his heel. And so they name him Jacob and that's heel grabber. You know, he is going to be a deceiver and a supplanter. And he grows up that way. And honestly, he learned that from his mother. It it came naturally to him. His mother, Rebecca, and her brother, Laban, were deceivers and liars and tricksters. And Rebecca loved Jacob. And Isaac was a man of appetites. And he really loved Esau because Esau could get that meat for him. And he loved the savory meat that Isaac would make or that Esau would make for him. So this is the family dynamic that we're dealing with. You have favoritism in the family. You got mom loves one boy and dad loves the other boy and they don't like each other at all. So now here's what happens. Jacob, God has a plan for Jacob to receive the blessing. God has a plan to make of Jacob a great nation, but Jacob is going to get it done himself. He's going to take care of it himself. He's going to get ahead of God. So the first thing that he does is he gets the birthright from Esau. Esau comes in from the field. Remember, Esau's a man of appetites, just like his dad. He comes in from the field and he says, I'm going to die. Give me some of that pottage, that bean soup that you've made. And he says, well, Jacob says, okay, but sell me your birthright. And Esau says, what good is my birthright if I die of hunger? And he sells him his birthright. So then when it comes time for Isaac to give the birthright, uh, Rebecca knows that he's about to give the birthright because he tells, he t- again, being a man of appetites, he tells Esau, go and get me some of that venison. Take me a venison and make me that savory meat that I like and then I'll bless you. So Jacob comes in. Rebecca hears it. She tells Jacob, you need to go. You need to, I'm going to make some of this venison that he likes and I want you to get some goat skin and put it on your arms and your neck and you get some of Esau's clothes so you smell like him and go in and trick your father. He does that. He steals the birthright from Esau. Well, now he's running. 
Look at chapter 27. Verse 41. And Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing wherewith his father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, The days of mourning for my father at hand, then will I slay my brother Jacob. And these words of Esau, her elder son, were told to Rebekah. And she sent and called Jacob, the elder son, and said unto him, Behold, thy brother Esau, as touching thee, doth comfort himself, purposing to kill thee. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice, and arise, flee thou to Laban, my brother, to Haran, and tarry with him a few days, until thy brother's fury turn away, until thy brother's anger turn away from thee, and he forget that which thou hast done to him. Then I will send and fetch thee from thence. Why should I be deprived also of you both in one day? So now, here's where we are. Jacob is leaving the promised land, and he's going to go into Syria, where Laban lives. But on the way, he stops at a place called Bethel. So let's look at chapter 28 and look at verse 10. The first thing that we need to understand in fellowship with God, if we're going to take the next step in fellowship, is before I could have fellowship with Laura, I had to meet her. You understand how that works. We had to meet. Well, God met with Jacob. Look at chapter 28. And verse 10, And Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran, and he lighted upon a certain place and tarried there all night because the sun was set. And he took of the stones of that place and put them for his pillows and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, thy father, and the God of Isaac, the land whereon thou liest, to thee will I give it and to thy seed. And thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and thou shalt spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in thee and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And behold, I am with thee. And will keep thee in all places whither thou goest, and will bring thee again into this land. For I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. Now here's the first thing that I want you to see is that as Jacob is running from Esau, he's running for his life. He really doesn't have anything. He has a backpack with him. He's running and he thinks that he might die. He's scared to death. He's got a staff to fight off animals and robbers. And so he finds a place to sleep and he pulls up rocks for his pillow. That doesn't sound very comfortable, does it? But this is the way that he meets God. Listen to what one commentator said. And it is here in a dark place that Jacob gets the second greatest revelation of his life. This seems to be the fate of all flesh. We do not seem to be able to walk in close fellowship with God until the lights dim and the curtains of pain and sorrow are drawn and the sounds and sights and smells of the world only come to us filtered through a coffin or a scalpel or an empty bank account or a feverish body. Jacob meets God where most of you are going to meet him, if and when you ever do. 
It's interesting that many times when we are so full of the world and of happiness and of ourselves, we really don't have time to meet with God. But when the baby's sick or the relationship is bad or the money's gone, all of the sudden we start looking to find God. And that's okay because many times that's where we must be brought to in order to find God. And God does come and find Jacob. He speaks to him in a very special way. He meets with God. Now, I want you to notice one thing that happens immediately. Look at Genesis chapter 28 again. Look at verse 13. And behold, the Lord stood above it, talking about this ladder, and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham thy father and the God of Isaac. Notice, he's not the God of Jacob yet. When we hear it, don't you just immediately finish it, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and... That's just the way that we assume it. That's the way that we understand it. But he is not your God because he is your father's God. He's not your God because he is your mother's God. He must become your God personally. You must have a personal encounter with the God of the universe. You can't go on daddy's coattails. You can't go on mama's coattails. You must know him personally. You've got to come to the place where you meet him and you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for your eternal salvation. When that happens, God makes a covenant with you. You enter into a covenant relationship with God. Now, what does that mean? A covenant is not, if you do this, I'll do this. A covenant from God is where God says, I'm going to do this, regardless of what you do. You know why that's important? How many times have you ever made a commitment to God and not kept it? Now, let's just, let's just testify for a minute. Who here would say, hi, I am, and you say your name, I've made a commitment to God and not kept it. Would you raise your hand? Aren't you glad? I love what the Apostle Paul wrote by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He said, For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Because if I had to keep what I have committed, it's not going to work. I love it. He keeps what I've committed until he returns. That is so good. But this covenant, it's interesting. The covenant was given to Abraham. It's repeated to Isaac. And now the exact same covenant is given to Jacob, but with some more information. Look at what, and what we get here is some information about what we receive when we meet Jesus Christ. And this is the promise that's given to Jacob. Look at verse 15, chapter 28, verse 15. And behold, I am with thee. Behold, I am with thee. On the basis of the covenant, God says he'll be with us. That's companionship. Do you know that you can never say I'm alone? You can never say I'm alone. But look at Genesis chapter 32. Verse 24. And Jacob was left alone. Look at the next verse. And there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. This man comes to, we come to find out that this man is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. But here's the deal. Jacob had met him on the ladder. 
And now 20 years later, he doesn't even know who he is. And it's interesting that when you are born again, when you meet the Lord Jesus Christ, he says to you, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Remember what he said in Matthew chapter 28? All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and preach the gospel. But then he says, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. He is going to be with you. He is with you. He's the friend that's closer than the brother. Anybody saved here today? You are never alone. Never alone. When you're saved, He gives you companionship. That's something that comes along with it when you place your faith and trust in Christ alone. And then look at what it says. We're back in chapter 28, verse 15. And behold, I am with thee and will keep thee in all places whither thou goest. He is going to not only be with me, but he's going to keep me. That's guardianship. Guardianship. That means that I am safe to serve God anywhere, anytime. Have you ever been afraid to speak up for the Lord? What are they going to think about me? Don't worry, God's with me. He's going to keep me. Have you ever been worried to make a decision and you know exactly what the Bible says about it? You know that the Bible says you're supposed to do it. But you worry about a family influence or a cultural influence. Something that's going on when God has told us, wherever I am, if I'm born again, He is going to keep me. Aren't you glad that you don't have to keep your own salvation? i got to tell you, if I had to keep my own salvation, I would be in big, big trouble. Look, I don't know where you are. But if you're born in your, in your spiritual walk, I, I hope that you'll take the next step, whatever that is. But I promise you this. If you have trusted Christ as your Savior, if you're born again, He is with you and He is keeping you. And you are safe in His hand. Isn't that wonderful? Man, I love that. Isn't that wonderful? That is just so great. But then look at what else He said He was going to do. Verse 15. And behold, I am with thee and will keep thee in all places whither thou goest and will bring thee again into this land. For I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. Do you know what God was... God is making this promise to him. Imagine this. As he's leaving the land. Now, can you imagine asking for directions? You pull over at the gas station. Yeah, I'm looking for this place. It's got streets of gold. It's got gates of pearl. Uh, can you tell me how to get there? They're going to look at you like you are nuts. Right? They might get confused and send you to the golden arches. <laughs> look, the only way that we can know how to get to heaven, behold, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. He, he says, I can show you the way. That's what he's going to do. Do you know what God is promising you? He's promising you guidance. The Lord will guide you with his eye. Have you ever really needed to know the next step in your life? You really need to know the next step. Well, well first of all, you need to remember that he will not leave you alone. He's going to stay with you and he's going to guide you. That's what God has promised Jacob. And Jacob forgets every bit of that. Do you know what we do as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ? Many of us go through periods of time in our lives where we forget 
what Christ promised us when we met Him at salvation. So if we're going to take this next step in our fellowship with God, the first thing we've got to do is meet Him. If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, if you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for your eternal life, you can't really have fellowship with Him because He won't hear you. You are actually at war with God, and He is at war with you, and that's not a good place to be. Amen? But if you have met Him, Many of us have met him, but now we feel alone. Um, now, how do we meet him? I want you to see a couple of things, and then we're going to move on to chapter 32. But I want you to see some things that, that salvation is not something that you do. Salvation is something that comes completely from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Every bit of it. I want you to see this from where Jacob meets the Lord Jesus Christ here at Bethel. Look at uh, chapter 28 again chapter 28, and look at verse 12. And he dreamed, and behold, a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. I want you to see something here. And that is that the angels go up before they come down. They go up before they come down. And you say, well, that's common sense. You know, you got to go up before you can come down. Not if you're an angel. You start there. So now what's going on? Well, they had been with, these angels had been with Jacob, keeping him and protecting him. And Jacob thought he had to do it all by himself. He didn't. God had a plan for him. The second thing that I want you to see is that if there is going to be a connection between heaven and earth, it's going to have to be a supernatural connection. It's going to have to be a supernatural connection. But who is this connection? Well, we would say who? But what is the Bible? Who's the connection? Jesus. See, it's going to take a man who is earthly, who took on flesh and bones, who can hold a human hand in one hand and the hand of God in the other. That's Jesus Christ. He's the only one that can be that ladder. But does the Bible say anything about that? Go to John. Keep your place in Genesis. But go to John chapter 1. Look at verse 51. Let's look at verse 45 and uh, read on for the context. John chapter 1, verse 45. Philip findeth Nathanael and saith unto him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now, I want you to see something right there. It, when you read Moses, that's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and the prophets, when you read those, if you don't see Jesus in there, you're missing what God wrote. Amen? All right. So now, verse 46. And Nathanael said unto him, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip said, Come unto him. Or Philip said unto him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him, and saith of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile. Nathanael said unto him, Whence knowest thou me? Jesus answered and said unto him, Before that Philip called thee, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. Nathanael answered and said unto him, saith unto him, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God. Thou art the King of Israel. Now, is that a true statement? Amen. Amen. But look at verse 50. 
Jesus answered and said unto him, Because I said unto thee, I saw thee under the fig tree, believest thou? Thou shalt see greater things than these. Now look at what he says. And he saith unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Hereafter ye shall see heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the ladder. The Son of Man. Jesus Christ is the ladder. Jesus is the ladder that, that introduced Jacob to God. That's pretty awesome. Go back to Genesis chapter 28. Look at Jacob's response to this. Remember what happened in verse 15. He has seen the ladder and he, God gives him this promise. Now look at verse 16. And Jacob awakened out of his sleep and he said, Surely the Lord is in this place and I knew it not. Surely the Lord is in this place and I knew it not. Do you know that's the state of most of us most of the time? The Lord is with you and you don't know it. The Lord is here and we don't know it. Keep your place here. Go to Acts chapter 17. We look at this passage often, but I want you to see the significance of it here. Acts chapter 17. Verse 24. Man, I'm having a good time with this text today. There is such amazing... The, the, this Genesis... And remember, we had our series, The New, New Beginnings. And then we went on to Leaders and Losers, all going through Genesis. Now we're taking the next step, learning how to take our next step through the book of Genesis. Well, Genesis, as the foundation of everything, everything that is true in your spiritual life is modeled for you in the book of Genesis. That's why it's so fun finding it all, digging it out. Um, okay, so here we are. Acts chapter 17 and verse 24. God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. So here's the idea. Right there. Don't miss this. You might want to mark that verse. This is not the house of God. He does not dwell in temples made with hands. Amen? You are the temple of God. Like the preacher, a deacon came and was yelling at the... was all upset and went to the preacher and said, said, Pastor... The kids are chewing gum in the sanctuary. And the pastor said, no, sanctuaries are chewing gum in the auditorium. Amen? What? Know you not that you're the temple of God? The temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you? All right. So now God doesn't dwell in temples made with hands. He dwells in us. But now look at what it says. Verse 25. Neither is worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. And hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth. Now look at this. And hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation that they should seek the Lord if happily they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. Here's the thing. God determined when you would live and where you would live so that you can find him. Jacob said, I didn't know God was here. You know what? You might have that experience. You know, some guys have had that experience in a foxhole. Bombs blowing up all around them, bullets coming in. And all of a sudden, they find God is in that foxhole with them. It might be in a hospital bed. You didn't know that God was there, and that's where you meet him. It might be at a grocery store, and somebody gives you the word of God. It might be at the workplace. It might be in your house. It might even be in a church service. Can you imagine if you actually met God in a church service? Imagine that. 
Stranger things have happened. You see, we don't realize that God is with us everywhere we go. And that's in verse 16. It says, Jacob awakened out of his sleep. We're back in Genesis 28. And Jacob awakened out of his sleep and he said, Surely the Lord is in this place and I knew it not. And he was afraid and said, How dreadful is this place? I got to tell you, there is something missing. There is something missing from modern Christianity. And that is the dread of God. One of the benefits of doing the, the historical studies that God's allowed us to do is I read the biographies of these great men who've come to the Lord Jesus Christ. One of them is a guy named Duncan Dunbar. He pastored the McDougal Street Baptist Church in New York City. And surprisingly, he was from Scotland. And uh, he, was a, he was a wild young man. You know, he would ride, he was a great athlete, and he'd ride through downtown, wherever it was that he lived in Scotland, standing on his horse. Can you imagine that? I mean, that, I don't think I could do that. But he, was, he would come and he would do it. He had this life, and he, but he was a, a, a Christian by name until he heard a man preach, and he was convinced of his sinful condition. And he became con so convinced of his sinful condition that he didn't think it was possible for him to be saved. And so he spends months agonizing over his sin until he finally came to the realization of Christ's sacrifice for his sin personally. But many of us, we just, you know, okay, pray, Lord, forgive me for my sin. I believe that you're the Savior. And there's no consciousness of our actual sinfulness. You, we need to understand how dreadful it is as a sinner to be in the presence of a holy and mighty and just God. You know one thing that none of us should ever ask for? Justice. Life's not fair. When you say life's not fair, you're saying to God, I want justice. And I promise you, the last thing you want from a holy God is justice. What you need is mercy. What I need is mercy. Amen? So now, look at what it says. Let's go back to verse 17. And he was afraid and said, How dreadful is this place! This is none other than the house of God. The house of God. Now that's interesting. Look at what he says. He goes on. And this is the gate of heaven. Isn't that interesting? How did he come to, to see these things? What, what's he seeing? Well, look with me at Matthew chapter 7. Of course, keep your place in Genesis. Matthew chapter 7. Look at verse 14. Look at verse 13. Enter ye in, Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Who is the gate? It's Jesus. Is Jesus. So Jesus is the ladder. Jesus is the gate. What about the house of God? The house of God. Well, look at Hebrews chapter 3. Verse 1. 
Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him that appointed him, as also Moses was faithful in all his house. For this man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who hath builded the house hath more honor than the house. For every house is builded by some man, but he that buildeth all things is God. Jesus Christ is even the house of God. When the Bible says that we are the house of God, we only become the household of faith when we are in Jesus Christ. So Jesus, all of this is about Jesus. Look at 1 Peter 4.17. A couple of books later, 1 Peter 4.17. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. Well, what is the house of God? And if it first begin at us, we are the house of God, right? We are the house of God. Uh, then what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? So how do you become the house of God? Well, you've got to obey the gospel. What's the gospel? Death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ according to the Scriptures. The Bible's so clear on all this stuff. But all of it is about Jesus. But what about the people that are in this house of God? Look, look at 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy. What kind of people is the house of God made up of? You know, the Bible, or the, the church is not made of brick and mortar. You know, we have this nice building, and I'm thankful for it, but that's not the church. The church is made up of people. And let's look at it. 2 Timothy chapter 2. In verse 20, but in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. Now, the purpose of this book is to teach a pastor, young pastor, how to teach his people. So according to the word of God, the church, this house, this Grace Baptist Church is made up of vessels of honor and vessels of dishonor. You know, sometimes in the ministry, if you're discipling somebody or teaching a class or you're just trying to work with somebody, man, you can get so frustrated with people. But what happens is people meet God and then they forget what he has promised and what he is doing in them, they get away from God and they begin living as a vessel of dishonor. Jacob leaves this point. We're going to see that he makes some promises to God. He leaves and then 20 years later, he sees God again and he doesn't even know who he is. And he's alone. And while he's there at Laban's house, he is living like a degenerate. He's lying. He's being lied to. He's being stolen from. He's stealing. All these things are going on. Why? Why? Because in a father's house, there can be vessels of honor or vessels of dishonor. I wonder, as a member of Grace Baptist Church, participant in this body, are you a vessel of honor or are you a vessel of dishonor? Now, if you're a vessel of dishonor, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to love you and thank God that you're here. Amen? I am so glad that you're here. But you know what? If you're a vessel of dishonor, let's not stay that way. How about we purify ourselves, as the text says, and we get back to the place where we meet with God and we begin understanding who he is. Jacob does that. Um, 
All right, then one last thing I want you to see in Genesis chapter 28. Verse 18. And Jacob rose up early in the morning and took the stone that he had put for his pillows and set it up for a pillar. The stone that he had set for his pillows. Look at verse 22. And this stone which I have set for a pillar. Well, go back to verse 11. What happened? Everybody get your Bible. Don't be wandering in outer space here. Get your Bible. Look at the Word of God. Focus in on it. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's one in your pew. Look at verse 11. And he lighted upon a certain place and tarried there all night because the sun was set. And he took of the stones of that place and put them for his pillows and lay down in that place to sleep. What happened? Why did he go from stones to a stone? Because when he saw the Lord at the top of that ladder, he realized there's only one stone. The Bible calls him the chief cornerstone. And from that chief cornerstone, he makes us alive. And he makes us all lively stones and joins us together into a building. We are God's husbandry. We are God's building. Then in 1 Peter, he tells us that these lively stones, you have the chief cornerstone, Jesus Christ. We're all connected to that chief cornerstone and we become lively stones with him. But there is one stone. The book of Daniel tells us, Daniel chapter 2, that there is going to come a time when all of these kings of the earth and all of these nations are smashed by that one stone, Jesus Christ. I want you to understand something. When you meet God, it's not because you found the Lord. Remember seeing that bumper sticker years ago? Many of you are way too young to remember it, but I found it. How many of you remember that? I, no, 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 no. He found me. Amen? He found Moses in the wilderness. He found Jacob here in the wilderness. He found Abraham in the wilderness. He finds us. We do not find him. Amen? So I want you to understand something. If you're going to meet Jesus Christ, it's all based on him and what he has done, and he has made you promises. But now, back to Genesis chapter 32, how then did Jacob end up alone? He has met the Lord. Oh, back Genesis 28. One thing I want, you, I want you to see. Tough to have a preacher with ADD. All right. Verse 18 or verse 19. And he called the name of that place Bethel. But the name of that city was called Luz at the first. And Jacob vowed a vow saying, if God will be with me, now, would you mark that word if? Has Jacob learned what he needs to learn yet? When God tells you something, is it going to happen? All right. Look at what he says. And Jacob vowed a vow, saying, If God be with me and will keep me in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on, so if God does all these things, he's going to serve him. Well, what if he takes it all away from you? Are you going to serve him? See, this is baby Christianity represented as opposed to genuine, true, mature Christianity. Then look at what it says. Uh, verse 21, So that I come again to my father's house in peace, then shall the Lord be my God. And this stone which I have set for a pillar shall be God's house, and of all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give the tenth unto thee. A couple of things that I want you to see. We think, we think 
that spiritually mature people give. And notice that this tenth is before the law. Somebody says, we don't have to tithe anymore because that's a part of the law. No, this is well before the law. Abraham, Melchizedek, oh, the, tithe, the tithe existed a long time before the law. But the tithe is what we do when we meet God. When you, when, when you meet God, you're going to give because you understand that everything, every good thing comes from Him. Amen? But that's the baby step. Now, there are two reasons why people don't tithe. Two reasons. And I've heard both of these reasons. I don't make enough to tithe. And I make too much to tithe. Isn't that funny? Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. It's just the scripture. It's just what it says. So it's interesting that he meets God and just in a very immature way, he even understands that the tithe is where your Christian walk begins. Okay, so now let's go to Genesis chapter 32. You know what's really scary? We have just gotten to my sermon. Jacob is left alone. Don't worry, it won't take long. Like Elizabeth Taylor said to her eighth husband, I won't keep you long. Genesis chapter 32, verse 24. And Jacob was left alone. Why was Jacob alone? Don't miss this. He was alone because he had ruined every one of his earthly relationships. If we're going to take the next step in fellowship, it's got to begin by knowing God. And then our interaction with other people is based on our relationship with Jesus Christ. If you live for yourself, it won't be long until you're living by yourself. If you love yourself, it won't be long until you're loved by no one but yourself. And that's exactly what happened to Jacob. Jacob was the son of Isaac, but he's ruined his relationship with Isaac because of his self-will and his self-relationship. Jacob no longer has a relationship with his love, the mother that he loved, Rebecca. Here's what happens. She says, you need to go to Laban's. He never sees her again. Because of his self-will and his self-interest, he lost his relationship with his mother. He's afraid to live side by side with his brother because his brother's going to kill him because he got ahead of God's plan and lied and stole from his brother. Then how about his father-in-law? Laban and Jacob have lied and deceived each other so much, they can't even talk to each other anymore. He has ruined every one of his human relationships by self-interest, self-will, and self-love. Whether you have seen God or haven't, whether you've seen Him at the top of the ladder or lived a life for self and a love of self, will lead down a road that leads to isolation and aloneness. People say, I don't go to church anymore because I'm, I'm just holier than the people there. No, there are people that are like that because they've ruined every relationship in that place with pride, self-will, and a haughty spirit. Now, i got to tell you, this is brutal for me. As I studied this text out and I saw what he did through self-will, 
man, I'm the kind of person that uh, I've just got to be right. If I'm in a conversation with somebody and they're wrong, I'm going to let them know that they're wrong. Well, how about I just let them know that Jesus loves them and he died for them and, and I need to determine whether or not I'd be willing to die for them. See, I don't know about you guys, but I've got a big, I've got a big dose of self-love. You know what I mean? Uh, man, I really like taking care of things that are about me. And it's like the guy said, quit being so self-centered. This is about me. That, that's where so many of us are. That's exactly where Jacob lived. And here's what we've got to understand. Don't miss this. This whole idea of take the next step, we're talking about take the next step in fellowship, and it begins by fellowship with God. If I am having genuine fellowship with God and I see who He really is, all of a sudden, myself is diminished, not elevated. Amen? I wonder, how many of you have ever lost a relationship with somebody because of your own pride? Any of you? that ever happened to you? There's like three of us. I'm just telling you. The, the Bible says where pride, there, without pride, there's no contention. There's not. And here he is. He is alone. Jacob is left alone because he has no relationship with the Lord. He's met the Lord. He's heard his voice. He's spoken with him. But he doesn't walk with him in fellowship. And look, we as Baptists, do we have any Baptists here today? Any Baptist? How many of you have ever seen an Anglican prayer book? You ever seen one? I have. I think I've got one in my office. It's called The Common Book of Prayer. You go into any used bookstore, you can see a common book of prayer. And you can open it up, and you can read some really nice prayers. And I've never understood why somebody would read a prayer. You'd read a prayer. Imagine this. I come home from work, and I say to Laura, I get out my book. How do I love thee? Let me count the ways. She's going to think I've lost my ever-loving mind. Right? I could do Cyrano de Bergerac. And, uh, it's Pastor Nathan. <laughs> That's not right. But anyway, imagine... How many of you don't know who Cyrano de Bergerac is? Quality American education. Okay. Cyrano de Bergerac is the guy with the really big nose that was in love with this lady, and he had he, he was afraid to meet her, so he stood outside the window while someone else, a good-looking guy, spoke to her and used his words. Okay? That's Cyrano. But anyway, imagine... I'll, I'll try to curb my literary references from now on. It, imagine if I'm going to speak to Laura, but I'm reading to her what someone else has said. How many of you think that would be weird? Well, that's what a prayer book is. That's what a prayer book is. And yet, we Baptists, we pray the same way. Lord, thank you for this food. Thank you for this day. Uh, be with the missionaries. Be with my family. Be with the preacher. Be with the church. Boy, I really had a great talk with God today. That's not a relationship. That's reciting some cliched phrases. We've got to have a personal relationship with Christ. If we're having a personal relationship with the God of the universe, then that's going to help us in our relationship with others. 
Jacob got to a place in his life where he had a really big family, but now he's completely alone. Now, here at this point, two things are going to happen. His life is going to be ruined, or God is going to intervene in a supernatural way and do something special with him. And, of course, we know what happened. But look what happens here, verse 24. And Jacob was left alone, and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. And I've heard preachers preach on this about wrestling with God. How many of you ever heard somebody preach on this text about wrestling with God? As if that's a good thing. Are we supposed to wrestle with God? Or are we supposed to submit to God? And it's interesting when you see what happens here. There are different things that we as we wrestle against evil. We don't wrestle with God. There, people wrestle against God. That's exactly what Jacob was doing here. Jacob comes to God and says, Look, I'm about to meet Esau. He's coming at me. He's got an army of 400 people. What in the world am I going to do? He's scared to death. And he's saying, God, fix it. You've got to fix it. And God says, it'll be all right. You work it out. You've got a plan for everything. Why don't you plan this? Isn't it amazing how God can take the, the connivingest of us and bring us to a place where our tricks no longer work? Our solutions no longer work. And he prays for an hour and then for two hours. And then he looks up and he sees this guy standing there. And he goes over and he grabs his feet and he won't let him go. And he argues and argues and argues with God. So we've got to understand something. The purpose of prayer is not to change God. How many of you ever heard that before? Maybe they've been in discipleship. The purpose of prayer is not to change God. It's to change me. And notice what the text says. And Jacob, verse 24, was left alone, and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day, and when he saw that he prevailed not against him. This is God. He's wrestling with Jesus Christ. Jesus is wrestling with Jacob, and you know what God, the Bible says? Jesus is getting nowhere with this guy. He's getting nowhere with him. Look at the way that we do that. Look at Second Peter. Second Peter. Of course, we're going to come back. Second Peter. We do the same thing. I think we need to turn the heat up in here a little bit. We can take care of that. Um, thank you, Frank. Tom, that won't help you. That's just air conditioning. Um, 2 Peter 3.16 As also in all his epistles, speaking in them of, the, of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood. All right, so Paul has written scripture. In it, there are some things that are hard to understand. Now look at what this says. Which they that are unlearned and unstable... Rest, as they do also the other scriptures, unto their own destruction. You see, here's what we do. These are believers. We wrestle with the Word of God. We believe the Bible. We just don't believe the individual passages that are dealing with what we're doing 
right now. Do you know where that leads? What, what does the verse say? Where does that lead? To their own destruction. Man, and I'm, I'm not preaching at you. I'm right here. Uh, you know, I'm reading the scriptures and God deals with something that, that, that I'm struggling with. Yeah, but you don't understand. You know, that that's a really hard thing to say to God. How many of you ever caught yourself saying that in prayer? You see something, but you don't understand. You're telling God he doesn't understand something that doesn't work. They wrestle the scripture to their own destruction. Look at Ephesians chapter 6. I want you to see something really interesting. It's a passage we all know, but I want you to notice something about it. Ephesians 6, look at verse 10. People wrestle with God. They wrestle with God's word. Look at Ephesians 6, verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Now, notice what Jacob's doing. He's wrestling with God with all his might. That's what he's doing. I mean, he is hanging on. He's fighting with all his might. When here, we're supposed to wrestle in the power of his might. Look at what it says. Verse 10, or verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against... No, wait, wait a minute. The way I just read it is the way that we generally read it. But we don't wrestle with flesh. We don't wrestle with principalities and powers until we stop wrestling with flesh and blood. I'll get the upper hand with my brother. He lost his brother. I'll get the upper hand with my father. He lost his father. I'll get the upper hand with my father-in-law. He lost that relationship. And by us trying to get the upper hand and make sure that nobody does us dirty, we lose our relationship with God we lose the relationship with those people. We destroy our families' trust in God. When we preach from the Word of God and we try and help your kids, and then you go home and you talk about something stupid the preacher does, and I'm not going to listen to that, and we don't have to do that. Pastor Nathan establishes maybe a standard for the youth group, and parents think it's a stupid standard. And then we wonder why the kids rebel. Because they have rebellious parents. And that's exactly where we are. I'll get the upper hand. I'll get it. And we are wrestling with each other. You don't know what she said to me. You don't know what he did to me. Can you believe the way they treated me? And we're wrestling. See, we have got to the place where we understand that before we can wrestle with evil, we must stop wrestling with our brothers and sisters and live at peace. Follow peace with all men and holiness without which it's impossible to see God. The opposite response is that root of bitterness which springing up troubleth you and many are defiled as Esau who for a bit of pottage sold his birthright and couldn't find repentance though he sought it with tears. Because he never dealt with the issue. That's exactly where Jacob is. Right here. 
right here. Carnal babies fight against their brothers. Maturity is knowing the enemy. Can you imagine going to battle? And you've got some guy next to you with a gun. And he can't tell the difference between your army and the enemy. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get the gun away from that guy as fast as I can. Friendly fire is not a good term. Amen? And yet we have to understand, here's the deal, man. Nick is not the enemy. Tony's not the enemy. Andy's not the enemy. Chris isn't the enemy. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, rulers of darkness in high places. Amen? That's where we wrestle. We don't wrestle with God. We don't wrestle with each other. We don't wrestle with the Word of God. We wrestle against evil. Spiritual maturity is submitting to the Word of God, submitting to God, submitting to each other, and fighting evil. That's spiritual maturity. And you can't have genuine fellowship with God until you get that right. Now, go back to Genesis chapter 32. Look at verse 24 again. And Jacob was left alone, and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. The Bible says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light. If we walk in the light as he is in the light. Here, Jacob is with God, and God is with him but he's in darkness. He's in darkness. The Lord was present, but Jacob was not walking in the light. He fought God all the way. That's evident by the path of strife, and that's evident by a life that's void of spiritual fruit. If Go to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. We were in this text, I think it was last week. Look at verse 13. Galatians 5, verse 13. For brethren, you have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the laws fulfilled in one word, even this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you be not consumed of one another. This I say then, Walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other. Remember Jacob and Esau. So that ye cannot do the things that you would. But if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the works of the law. Now I want you to mark in verse 19, mark that first word, now. Now. He's writing to believers. Now the works of the flesh are manifest which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings. Revelings is where, it, you know, you, you, you sound revelly in the military. That's where you draw attention. Revelings is where you talk about you and such like. Of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. 
But here's the deal. These things exist in believers who are walking in the flesh. And I've got to tell you, if you put these things next to most believers, these identify the believer much more than the fruit of the Spirit. Look, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there, such there is no law. So here's the idea. If I am living, if I am not able to love Bob, that means that I am walking according to the flesh. If I am not able to be at peace with him, if I am not able to be long-suffering with him, if I am not able to be good to him, if I'm not able to live in faith, if I'm not able to be meek, Here's the idea. Meekness is not thinking of yourself. So how can Bob hurt my feelings if I'm not thinking about myself? You see, that's the fruit of the Spirit. That's what a walk and a fellowship with God does. But Jacob was alone because he had met with God and then he left that there and went on and lived his life and made a complete mess of it. Um. So what does God do? What does God do? Let's go back to chapter 32. Look at verse 25. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. This is the key. This is the key to fellowship with God, subduing the flesh. Subduing the flesh. When he touched the hollow of his thigh, he said... Let me go, for the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let thee go, except thou bless me. So now, he's starting to to see something. Why does he need a blessing? Because he had stolen the blessing. Now he needs a genuine blessing from God. You don't get there until you subdue the flesh. You don't get there. Um... Jacob would not humble himself, so God humbled him. Hebrews 12, 5 says, And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. The Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians 12, 7, wrote, And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. What Jacob had to learn was he could not trust his own flesh. He couldn't trust his own conniving. He couldn't trust his own answers. He had to have a relationship and power with God before he could take the next step. Now, Jacob was able to go through life pointing fingers at everybody else. Laban has robbed me for 20 years. I should have gotten the blessing. I haven't been able to live at home because Esau is coming after me. And what does God say to him? Look at what God says. Verse 27. And he said unto him, What is thy name and he said Jacob remember the last time somebody asked him that look at Matthew chapter 27 I'm sorry Genesis 27 
Genesis 27. Verse 18. And he came unto his father and said, My father. And he said, Here am I. Who art thou, my son? And Jacob said unto his father, I am Esau. You see him asking for a blessing? The last time he asked for a blessing, he lied about who he was. Look at verse 24. Chapter 27, verse 24. And he said, Art thou my very son Esau? And he said, I am. You see, before we can have power with God, before we can have a genuine relationship with God, before we cannot be walking in the flesh, we have to acknowledge who we are to Him. And it's not somebody else's fault that you're not walking with the Lord. It is your fault. It's not anybody else's fault when I'm not walking with the Lord. It's my fault. What is your name? I'm Jacob. I'm the deceiver. I'm the liar. I'm the trickster. You know what's wild? About in the 20 years that Jacob had walked away from God, in those 20 years, you know what happened? He, went to, he wanted to marry Rachel. Man, Rachel was babelicious, and Leah was cow-eyed. And so he comes and he said, he worked seven years to marry beautiful Rachel. And gets to the marriage ceremony, and his new bride is behind her veil. And said, do you take Rachel to be your wife? Or do you take Jacob to be your husband? And she said, I do. <laughs> and he's thinking, man, she must have a cold or something. Man gets into the wedding night, lifts the veil, comes out the next morning, and says, oh, my goodness. What, what have you done to me? i got to tell you. First of all, Rachel must have been a honey, and Leah must have been hurting. You know what I mean? And he comes out, and what had happened? Just like in the cover of blindness and darkness, and through deception, he had deceived his father. And he lived his life tricking. And so for the next 20 years, 10 times, Laban changes his pay. 10 times. Tricks him lies to him, steals from him over and over and over again. What was he doing? Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. But now, now, look, we're back in Genesis 32, verse 27. And he said unto him, What is thy name? And he said, Jacob. He said, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel, for a prince, uh, for as a prince thou hast thou power with God and with men, and hast prevailed. God gave him, God changed him. He changed him physically and spiritually. He gave him power with God. He gave him a new name. There's a new name written down in glory. Amen. Jacob came to God with his head held high and a scheme and a plan for every situation. He left limping knowing God's power had to be on him or he was finished. Let's look at the fruit of humbling. When you come to God in that way, look at the result. Verse 30. And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face. When you humble yourself, now you can take the next step in fellowship with God because now you've got a face-to-face -face relationship with God. Remember, 
Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man can see God. Look at the rest of the verse, verse 30. And my life is preserved. See, he got not only a face-to-face relationship with God, but he got a supernatural preservation. And then look at what it says in verse 31. And as he passed over Penuel, the sun rose upon him. You see what happened? Now, when you have that relationship with God, now the Lord is with you, and now you're able to walk in the light as he is in the light. That's the fruit of it. Not only did he get that, but look at verse 31 again. And as he passed over Penuel, the sun rose upon him, and he halted upon his thigh. Do you know what else you get when you humble yourself and you establish a relationship with God? You get a walk that's changed forever. It's changed forever. He's no longer able to walk in his own strength. Now he has to rely on God. When we see him later, he's, he's uh, leaning on his cane. He was crippled for the rest of his life but he was stronger than he had ever been. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. We need to take the next step in fellowship, and that is fellowship with God. That's where we get beyond these platitudes in our prayer. We genuinely go to God in humility, acknowledging who we are, and we stop fighting with each other. And then we have power with God and with men. It's at that point that we genuinely begin serving God and seeing something happening in our lives. Amen? Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your word.